Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in anxious times. And my name is Irvin Nugent, and today, as always, I am joined by my co-host and collaborator, Bridget Tyre. Bridget, how are you doing today? Well, Irvin, thank you for asking, and I am doing great. I was thinking about it this morning that here we are in January. We had some very mild days and then it you know, went back to being appropriately cold. But man, it's been gray here in the D.C. area, but not today. Yeah. Today, the sun is shining. And I know it's shining where you are mm-hmm. in Frederick. And, yeah. you know, that always puts a pep in my step. You know, yeah. I know I've said that before, but I'm a sunshine person. Me too. Yeah, so absolutely. It can be 30 degrees, but if it's sunny, that's okay. And so, um, yeah, so I'm doing great and excited about this topic. You know, we were talking, you and I, a little bit before we started recording that this has been a subject on my mind for a while, and it's come up in some of my most recent coaching sessions as well. So I'm excited to dig in. So, So tell folks a little bit about this topic. Yeah, today uh, we're actually going to talk about one of the most important skills that we need to develop in order to be successful and fulfilled at work. And we're going to call this episode The Art of Self-Advocacy. You know, because being a good advocate for yourself, it really doesn't come natural to most people. It's a learned skill. I know that's certainly my experience of this. And yet... You know, when you think about it, why is that? Well, if you look back at our experience, none of us had a class on how to advocate for yourself (laughs) or part of your college training wasn't, you know, show up with with all everything that you've been successful in. And so we have to learn about that. And yet there are some myths around this. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to clarify maybe some of those myths and really talk about why is this so incredibly important? You know, I don't know about you, Bridget, but in the coaching relationships that I have, where I really get some insight, and you mentioned before that it's coming up, but really where this this is triggered for me for a lot of people is when it comes up to their annual review and they have to write that, you know, yes. what was I successful in this year or, or give a summary of the year. And I am amazed at the amount of my clients that really struggle with that question. They really find it difficult to verbalize or to write down some of their successes and then also to really leverage that and position mm-hmm. themselves in their careers. How about you, Bridget? Is that something that that uh, comes up for you? Oh, most definitely. I mean, I can relate specifically to the end of the year, like, ooh, how do I show up for this in a really clear and confident way and tell my story? And what were those goals I said? And, you know, all that. I also have found that You know, just generally speaking, advocating for oneself can be a challenge, not just for like people early in their careers, you know, who haven't really learned it yet, but even for seasoned professionals. I mean, I remember this one person I coached a couple of years ago and she was a a vice president, great Mm -hmm. leader. And, you know, she didn't really have a strong muscle yet around Mm self-advocacy. And here she is a, a seasoned, effective professional VP so uh, I, I think, you know, there's a fair number of us that can learn how to do this even better. And I kind of think of it like a continuum, right, where you've got folks, maybe some of our listeners who, you know, are, are confident enough 
to advocate, but maybe their their skillfulness at it, their mm. their ability to do it in a a with finesse and nuance mm-hmm. is not quite there. Yep. Or on the other end of the continuum, those who maybe don't quite have the confidence yet to to speak out, who are hesitant to do so, and maybe kind of hope or wait for other people to do it for them, right? Yep. And in anywhere in between. And it really is an art form. I mean, that's yes. why we're calling this the art of self-advocacy, because it takes all kinds of things we're going to talk about in this episode. So, you know, one of the things I think is interesting is that in terms of resilient leadership, one of the core concepts we've spoken about before is this idea of self-differentiation. I don't know about you, Urban, but I see a link between self-differentiation and self-advocacy. Do you see a link? And, And if so, what is it? Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And as you said before, you know, we've mentioned this, we've mentioned as well, you know, kind of when it comes to the systems approach to families and leadership that we use, two of the the great thinkers that we've mentioned is Murray Bowen and Ed Friedman. And both of those use this term of self-differentiation. It's a wonderful term. And when we try and break that apart and like, what do we mean when we say that? There's three main components. The first is a self awareness The second is a self-definition. And the third is a self-regulation. In other words, if we're going to differentiate ourselves as a leader and and who we are, then we really have to have clarity. And that clarity is built, first of all, on some self-awareness about our our goals, uh, our life goals, and and how we can manage this reactivity, which we've talked about, how we deal with the anxiety uh, around us. And, you know, one of the premises of resilient leadership that we've talked about is that the more self-differentiated we are, then the better we are to leading others. It's, it's this notion that we have to begin yeah. uh, with ourselves before we begin to that which is around it. And I think part of that skill of self-differentiation is the more self-differentiated we are, the more comfortable we are, the more at home we are to self-advocate for ourselves, to really be able to express in a meaningful way what has happened, what I have done, and also what are my needs. Mm-hmm. And, and those come very natural. And so, uh, and then the, in our ability to do that, the more ability we have to self-advocate, to express our needs, to express what we've done, then actually the more self-differentiated we become as well. So there's this kind of virtuous circle that's taking place the more self-differentiate, more ability to self-differentiate helps us. And then in our ability to express that as well, we become more self-differentiated. Mm-hmm. So perhaps a good place, Bridget, for us to begin is to kind of define what does uh, self-advocacy mean and what really, what does it look like in action? Yeah. And what does it mean? I mean, as I'm listening to you, well, first of all, the whole thing about self-differentiation really making it easier self-advocate. What came to my mind is when we work on self-differentiation and those three aspects you mentioned, we become more comfortable in our own skin. Mm. And the more comfortable we are in our own skin, right? The better we can advocate. But what does that actually mean? I mean, when I think of it, the first thing that comes to my mind is really being clear about who we are and what we bring to the table, what our unique gifts are, what our contributions are, and then being able to confidently speak about that at the right time, in the right way, to the right person. Yeah. 
But I did what you sometimes do in preparation for these episodes, Irvin, and I looked up a definition Mm. of this. So here's the definition that I found. So self-advocacy refers to an individual's ability to effectively communicate, convey, negotiate, or assert his or her own interests, needs, and rights. Sort of covers the whole gamut, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, as we mature and progress, we get better and better at this. It's not a given that, you know, we know how to do this. Like you said, there's no course in college typically offered on it. Irvin, when you hear that definition, how would you assess yourself in this area of self-advocacy? What are you good at? Maybe what's the hardest part of it for you? Oh boy, am I a work in progress? I would say as I listen to that, there's some word, even as you read that, you know, there was there was one word that I just assert and it was like, I could feel myself just like, oh, that's a big word, you know? And so it's interesting. You know, I think it's interesting because we all grow up in, in a wider culture and we grow up in a culture of our family. And I know I grew up in Ireland and culturally, you know, self-advocacy is not things that come natural to, to in my culture, in both my family and then also the wider culture, that, mm. that in some way there was this notion that was inbred. It's a little bit of boasting. Don't boast. And so I have had to really learn that. And when I came here to the U.S., and I've been here 30 years, culturally as well, there was a struggle. I think I have become much better at recognizing my contribution and the gifts that I bring and being aware of that. Where I still struggle and it still is is asserting that and expressing that. I would much rather wait for others to do that for me. And in fact, when others do that for me, it's it's a relief. So it still is. It still is a struggle for me. And it's something, that element, I think the awareness I have, but then it's that that ability to communicate that, to find value in that communication. Mm, interesting. Yeah, love it. So you're yeah. a work in progress, right? Totally. When it comes to this, I am. <laughs> and, and myself too. So I know we, we, we mentioned at the beginning, we do want to get onto some of the myths around this, but is there anything else you want to say about um, self-advocacy, Bridget? You know, I do, because it, it kind of tags on to something you said about not boasting. And, and we'll talk in depth about that in just a minute. But I think that at the heart of being a really good self-advocate is a balance And there's, I think, two important ways that we need to strike a balance. And the first one is between balancing confidence with humility. You know, people who are confident but lack humility often come across as arrogant. And people who are humble but lack confidence can sometimes appear to be meek. You know, they sort of fade into the background. And really, when we advocate for ourselves... It's about bringing the two together. They're so potent together, right? And so to our listeners, you know, I'm just inviting you to think about how are you right now at striking that balance of confidence and humility? And who do you know who really embodies both of those, who can be an example to you? And Irvin, I don't know if you've ever coached somebody who you think blended those two together extremely well. But if so, would love to hear about it. There is. There's a client that does come to mind who I think really embodies both of them well. First of all, there just is an ease. I think that's the way, you know, I would say there's an ease 
with the way that they're able to express their contribution, to express their genius, to express what they bring, and to be able to express what they've achieved. And I remember when I was first with this person, I, I, I felt a little, almost like I could feel myself talk, well, aren't you full of yourself? You know, it was my own bias. And then, no, I said, this is what beautiful confidence means. And, and yet there is a humility. And I, I'd like to say there's two, there's two ways that humility comes out with this person. One is their ability to truly listen. So in other words, they're ready to express for themselves and extremely open to hear any feedback in that. And mm-hmm. they're aware of some defensiveness at times. And, and it's not that they're perfect or anything, but it's just that there is a radical openness to, to, the, to that kind of feedback and to what that means and to make adjustments. And I think that humility is there. And I think the other sense of humility is that they're still striving for more. Mm-hmm. That yes, I am here and yet I have other things to learn. Yeah. And and that the learning is not over. And I think there's that's the balance there. And it is a balance. It's always a fine equation, I think, which is being worked upon. So it's like they they know they haven't arrived yet. They're not yes. fully congealed. Correct. Uh, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Huh. And when you were sharing that example, it reminded me of somebody I coach who I would describe very similarly. Yes. To what you just said. I think the other balance that is really important to put on the table is this balance between giving others credit where credit is due, giving your team credit, giving your mm-hmm. colleagues credit, but then giving yourself credit and yeah. and claiming that credit. And boy, is that a tough balance sometimes, right? So yeah. I've been coaching somebody who's so good at giving uh, her team credit and her colleagues credit. And then it's like, but I don't know how to give myself credit. And I'm guessing some of our listeners can relate to that, right? Because like the last thing we want to do is be one of those managers that like takes an idea that really came from the team or the a colleague and says, I have this great idea I came up with. We've all been around people like that and it's incredibly annoying. So I was thinking of an example of what this balance would look like. And so imagine if you were leading a project, very complex, very visible, and you hit it out of the park and it was difficult, you know, but you managed to lead your team to great heights through it. And your manager is meeting with you at the conclusion of this, you know, And says basically, you know, to you, boy, you know, congratulations on that very successful project. Your team really hit it out of the park. So now how do you respond to where you give the team complete credit and specific credit, but still speak to what you did that was unique in that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to share what I think, how that might sound. And then Irvin, I'm curious what your thoughts are. So So, you know, the manager says that, and then maybe you respond with something like this, you know, thank you so much. And yes, that accomplishment was a total team effort. Everybody on this team, without exception, worked incredibly hard. They went beyond what I expected. And I am like so proud of them. And, you know, I also at the end of the day felt good about my ability to lead the team through some really difficult patches. There were a few times when I wondered if we were actually going to make it through to the end because the client got really testy and pushed back in some very uncomfortable ways. And I was able to hold my ground with them, but still 
you know, keep their trust. So anyways, in the end, it was such a big win uh, all the way around, a win for the team and a win for uh, the client and a win for all of us. So how does that sound to you, Irvin? I love that because there is, I, I think there's an acknowledgement and there's also the filling in of some other information there. I think culturally, maybe we have to give acknowledgement to the team or we feel we have to. And yet it's possible to do that and at the same time step into the fact that every team has a leader and that when a team is successful, there has to be something that's happening. For It just didn't happen. It happened because of some decisions the leader made and the way that the leader managed that. And I think that is important because that's what good leadership entails. And I, and I think part of this is just acknowledging the role of the leader and acknowledging good leadership when you see it. And, and at times that can be done by others, but it can be done by ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So what about those myths? What myths, Irvin, have you seen that kind of hold people back from doing this? Yeah, you know, I think there are there are other messages that come up and and some of these as I as I I want to mention a few and as I describe them kind of think about yourself or listeners, you know, as you think about have you ever fallen into this. So I think one of them is kind of segueing out of that wonderful statement that you just made is that we don't need to self-advocate uh, because our work should speak for itself. You know, how many times have we heard that? And so, you know, and there's a problem with this. The problem is that we expect others to really see our work and see that the contribution were made. And that's not always the case because, I mean, if there's one thing we've expressed in this podcast, it is that everyone is running around. We are so busy. We don't have time to breathe at times. And so this expectation that magically others are going to notice what happened, it's just not the case. And so therefore we have a role to educate including our manager, including, you know, managing up uh, what we have done and mm-hmm. the impact it's made. And so, you know, at times, um, you know, a manager can say, you know, we have a deadline to make that this work has to be done by this deadline. And that's a really tough deadline. And the team goes about and through the work of the leader and through the maybe the, the ability of the leader to really bring the team together and to go above and beyond this, this is done. And then they present the work on deadline and, you know, manager can say, well, that's wonderful. But then what we've got to do is educate how did that happen? And really that's, you know, what you just said really helps in that way that yes, the team pulled themselves together, but you know, I got on immediately and I created a plan and I was able to, to put all these things together. So I think we do have to speak up for ourselves and we can't assume, we can't assume that others are going to see that. In many ways, you know, the work of leadership is a little bit invisible. It isn't always visible. And to be able to kind of bring to light some of the, the things that are happening in that invisibility is very important. Mm-hmm. And I also think it has kind of a sub uh, category here that's really important is that if we don't bring to light some of the struggles we had to overcome, then we also miss that opportunity to shine light perhaps on issues that an organization needs to deal with. Mm. 
so that, yes, I absolutely was able to make this hit the ball out of the park. However, in doing that, there are some real issues here we need to deal with. And so to speak up about that, even in the midst of our successes, at times we have to shed light on processes that perhaps we need to bring to light as well. Mm, really? I love that point, Irvin. I hadn't even thought of that. And it's so true that sometimes against all odds, we succeed. But do we really want to keep succeeding against all odds? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of that, that self-advocacy is that ability to say, you know, yeah, we made it this time and I went above and beyond. However, there was maybe a little bit of over-functioning going on here. And maybe <laughs> perhaps we need to, we need to we reset the cali- calibration. Now, another myth as well, uh, and kind of which leads on from this, is who's responsible? Like who's responsible for self-advocating and it really is self it's not your manager at times you know we we get into this thinking that our manager should be responsible for advocating for us and hopefully they do hopefully we have a relationship where we're able to to really the manager is aware of the work that we're doing and the good work we're doing and is able to be primary but as i said before sometimes the manager's running around crazy as well and yeah. doesn't have the time to do that and so not to relegate that advocation to someone else, but really it's, it's our primary responsibility. Hmm. You know, that relates back to what you said earlier about self-differentiation, because a key aspect of that is taking responsibility for self. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever we abdicate responsibility for self, you know, we're giving up some of our power. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love those. Those are so, so important. Can you think of any others, uh, Bridget? Yeah, yeah, I can think of a couple of others. So this relates to something you said, Irvin, in the beginning about your culture growing up in Ireland and your family culture, right? So I think one of the other common myths that can hold us back is that we've been taught in our family or in our society, do not get too big for your britches, young lady. (laughs) Young man, don't toot your own horn. Yeah. And for those of us who, like you, grew up with that message, we equate self-advocacy with arrogance. Yeah. And of course, we're going to be reticent to do it when we've got that uh, myth or that hidden belief, right? But like we said, look, we aren't advocating arrogance. We are advocating self-advocacy, which is a blend of confidence and humility, Mm -hmm. right? So that's one. I think another one is that, you know, sometimes we may want to appear self-sufficient, independent, not needy whatsoever. We have no needs. We can take care of ourselves, right? And so part of advocating for self is actually making requests for what you need. Yeah. But if you believe that you should be self-sufficient and never needy, you're going to have an aversion to speaking up for what you need. Yes. And we have to get beyond that. You know, I think there's a concern there maybe that if we appear to have needs, that people will think less of us. But I don't think that's true. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah. And it's something, you know, and sometimes those are the simplest things and yet the most difficult to express in the workplace. I need help. This is something I need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And leaders saying I need help is also yes. like once we become leaders, we're really reticent to say I need help. And yet we do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Oh, those are great myths. Okay. So Irvin, I already know that one of those myths you've had to overcome is don't get too big for your britches. Yes. And I would say one of the myths I've had to overcome is like, don't ever appear needy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, all right. So we're works in progress. So we are indeed. Now, what about strategies for how Mm. we do this? What are your thoughts on some tips or strategies, Irvin? Yeah, building this muscle. Um, yeah. The two that come to mind for me, one is, you know, we need to really be more strategic in using the check-ins that we have with our manager throughout the year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, that can become really formalized into one big meeting. But I think these are our opportunities really to have a discussion about what's happening and your contribution as well. We, we can't make these assumptions of we meant before that the manager's seeing everything. But really, it is an opportunity for education and it's an opportunity to really help the manager see, you know, what I've been doing and an opportunity for some feedback. And to use this, you know, kind of to to say, you know, have you any feedback on, on what you're seeing? And I think this will give us a clue to how involved the manager is, how, what's the manager seeing or not. And once we get an indication that perhaps, you know, the manager is so swamped that they're not really seeing things, then to really to be a little more upfront informing them kind of what's going on and what your contribution is. And, you know, and that doesn't have to be a bragging, right? It can be, you know, just uh, simple questions like, is there anything I've missed? Would you like to give me some feedback on anything I've missed? And, you know, kind of let me outline kind of what's been happening. And here's the contributions um, of the team and myself. Mm-hmm. And all of that, you know, is, is, is doable. But I think using those moments, I think, are incredibly important. And then the other thing is, you know, how do you know what to bring in? Well, keep a list of your wins. You know, you should be reflecting as well about, you know, what are some of these successes? What are some of the contributions I've made? Um, do I have clarity around that? And and to write them down. And I think there's a second wonderful aspect of this as well. On those days when things are not going well, on those days when you're not succeeding, to pull that little drawer and to, to take out some of the notes that you've written on, you know, maybe it's not going well today, but you know what? Throughout this year, here are some of the wins that I've had and here are some of the contributions. So really to to remind yourself as well of some of the successes you've had. But I think, you know, at the end of the year, a good clue of this, if someone asks you, talk to me about three or four of your contributions in the last year, you should not struggle. And if that's a struggle, then perhaps this will be a tool that can help. Yeah, I love that because we are just not going to remember in 365 days, we are not going to remember all the wins and all the details about those wins, we just can't possibly, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Any, I love those. Any other strategies come to mind for you, Bridget? Yeah, a couple do. I mean, one is uh, we've alluded to this, but specifically to really practice making requests from a place of strength. And so what does that mean? It means two things. It means when you ask for what you need, when you make a request of an of an employee to do something that you do so without apology, right? You do it with legitimacy. You don't say things like, gee, I'm so sorry to ask you to do this because I know you're overwhelmed, but do you think you could do X, Y, and Z by the end of the week? You know, because that sounds like you're equivocating. You make your, your request clearly, plainly, 
and without apology. Trust the other person to be an adult and be able to respond back, you know? Uh, And then the other thing about making requests from a place of strength is really making sure your requests, particularly if they're requests like, let's say, advocating for new staff, right, or for new resources, is that they're really thoughtfully grounded in facts and data to the extent that you can, and you make a good business case for them. So you're actually thinking your way through the request, not just feeling your way into it, right? Mm, Yeah, so that, that comes up to me. And I guess the other one that I, I often will suggest to people this practice, which is that they come up with a list of what I call strength statements, which are a handful, maybe three to five descriptions of the specific activities in your work that energize you, that engage the very best of you and where you think you do your best work. Mm. And that's important because no one else knows that but you. Yeah. And then what you can do is share that with your manager and you can say, this is where I think I make my, my biggest difference for the team mm-hmm. and for the organization. And here are my thoughts on how I could do more of them. Or what are your thoughts on how I could do more of these things? Love it. Yeah. But yeah. without that, mm-hmm. it's really hard to have other people help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what comes to my mind. What do you think? Yeah, I love that. You know, I, 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 one memory that's just come to my mind is kind of when I knew I was on my way to self-advocacy and it was my uncle who lives here in the U.S. He's from Ireland originally. And um, we had worked together a little bit and, and he just mentioned to me, he said, you know, I can't remember the particular task, but he said to me, you know, you did that so well. And I just turned to him and I said, I didn't even realize I was consciously doing this. And I said to him, well, thank you. And he said, he said, oh, he goes, you know, I love the way you said thank you. He said, because in the past you would have said, oh, it's nothing. It's okay. But he said, you just stepped up and you said that so confidently. I, I, I love that. And it was like, it maybe actually, and I've remembered to this day. So it's, it's really interesting, that ability to accept and declare with confidence and not mm. to downplay. Oh, Irvin, that's great. That's like another tip for folks, yeah. right? To not yeah. only make requests from a place of strength, but accept compliments from a place of strength. Absolutely. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. So we always try and finish with a practice. What's on your mind, Bridget, for a practice this week? Okay. So what's on my mind is what I will call whenever you are stressed, make a request. Kind of mm-hmm. rhymes a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And so what do we mean by that? Well, You know, when we're stressed, stretched, overwhelmed, anxious, what often happens is we get tunnel vision, you know, our field of vision narrows and we hunker down and we keep doing more of what we're already doing, but just doing it harder and longer. And often that's not the way out. And so the next time you find yourself feeling like that, take a breath, step back for a second and ask yourself this question. What requests can I make of whom in order to get the support or help I need? Mm. And see what comes into your mind. Invariably, there are missing requests. And people who can and should and would be happy uh, to fulfill those requests if only they were asked. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my practice. What do you think of that, Urban? I love that one. What requests can I make of whom in order to get 
the support or help that I need. Love that. Well, this has been a great conversation and it's bringing to mind, I know just within me, different feelings and thoughts about my own self-advocacy. And hopefully our listeners have got something out of this. Maybe one of some of the myths and some of the strategies, you know, we're, um, we start this new year and many of us have expectations and promises to ourselves. but maybe, you know, maybe you haven't thought about building this muscle. Maybe that's something to think about for 2023, build the muscle of self-advocacy. So uh, Bridget, thank you so much. Next week, we have a wonderful episode where we're going to look at greater resilience in our lives. And we're going to do a little bit of revisiting some of the core concepts we've talked up to this. But uh, Happy New Year and to all our listeners. And uh, Bridget, thank you so much. And we look forward to our next episode. Thank you, Irvin. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>